God, uh, we do need you. We just sang that. Uh, you're our one defense in our righteousness, like Brad was just praying. And uh, uh, we need you, God, in our lives so that we can live this life for you, uh, so that we can uh, tighten up the areas of our lives that are, are loose in, in regards to you. Just, God, would you please envelop every man, woman, and child in this room. There's people here who don't know you yet. I pray that you would lead them to yourself. There's people here who do know you, but they're living in defeat. Uh, they're living lives that you know, um, that don't reflect your, your glory and, and, and the Christ-likeness that they've been given. So give us all, God, uh, yourself, so that we can follow you and live for you. Get me out of the way as I preach this, and, uh, and you speak to us now. Encourage us and lead us. We need you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday morning, uh, I met my buddy Osha at my house, and we started fixing up some things. We're, we're at that stage. People ask me all the time, hey, how's the house? I guess I talk about it a lot. Do I talk about this house a lot? Just a little bit? Uh, it's, it's, it's what's been going on in my life, but I, I, could, I can let you know that this, this house that we moved into in June uh, is, is, is slowly and, and gradually becoming finished, or at least to the point where I can sit in there and not really care that things aren't finished. How's that, right? There's like a line there. And, uh, and so we're in the touch-up phase of a lot of things and just kind of tweaking stuff. And so uh, we had done some painting in the main room of our house, and our, our, our front door is right there in that, in that main room. And when we got done painting, I noticed my front door didn't close right anymore. Anybody ever have a door not close right? That's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you got to like jimmy it and, you know, put it in there so it'll latch correctly. Well, Osha came over and we started looking at it and he says, oh, I see your problem. And he uh, took his little drill bit, screwer thing, gun deal, and he, he unscrewed the screws in my hinges. And the screws in my hinges were about, about an inch long, okay? This is a big, huge, heavy front door, all right? And whoever put it in for us just put these really short screws into our hinges. And the first time it went in, it, it stuck just fine. But if you unloosen an inch screw on a heavy door... The next time you put it in, it's not going to be effective anymore. And so what had happened is we, we did that in the door. And this is, this is so uncanny to me. I'm not a detailer or any guy. Some of you guys are. You're engineers. Good for you. I'm not. <clears throat> but here's the deal. If you've got a door that just skews a little bit, like a half inch even, to one side, it doesn't work. It's a, it's a puzzle. That piece has to fit. And if it's not square, if it's not, you know, all those words, uh, it's not going to work right. So... Uh, Osha grabs some screws from his truck. He has this great setup, and he goes out, and I think they were three or four inches long. I mean, these were big daddy screws, right? And he puts these screws in the hinges. That door's not moving anymore, people, right? He just stuck them in there. And it made me think, you know what? <clears throat> a lot of life is, is like that. A lot of the Christian life is like that. Uh, where just one little thing can kind of get askew, can, can come loose. And that one little area of looseness in our Christian lives can affect the whole of our Christian lives. Other things stop lining up because in that one area, we're just not paying attention. We're just not being careful. What God wants us uh, from us this morning as we study this little portion of Titus here is, is, is I think, to us to run a check, for us to kind of go to the, the punch-out list on our, on our Christian lives and to make sure that everything's tight. Uh, when my sons were in high school, I don't know if this is still used in the vernacular of the youth uh, world, uh, but Ben or Cooper would get frustrated with each other. Usually Cooper frustrated with Ben because Ben's the instigator. And, uh, 
And he'd start acting like a brother. He would start getting really mad, frothing at the mouth, wanting to punch his brother. Anybody got a brother? Come on. You ever want to hit that guy? You know what I'm talking about, right? So they'd be sitting in the back of our van in high school, and it would, it would get heated. It would start, and, and, and Ben would just start yelling this at his brother. Tighten up, Coop! Tighten up! Whoa. And Cooper, you know, because he was smaller, would tighten up. I think this is what God is saying to us. Maybe he's yelling at some of you. Maybe he's whispering it to some of you. But he's saying, hey, man, the way you're living, the things you're doing, the choices you're making, they're kind of loose. And because they're loose, they're making other things loose. In your life, it's time to tighten it up. So here's my hope for us this morning. Titus is going to talk to, uh, to all of us. He's going to talk to men. Is there any men in here? Are there men? There's three men in here, ladies. I don't know if you knew that. The other people sitting next to you, apparently not men. Are there any women in here? Oh, there's the women. They'll play. Anybody go to work? Anybody got a job? A lot of you do. All right, so this is who he's going to talk to this morning. Men, women, and people who go to work. Uh, I think it covers all of us. And and the things that he's going to say to Titus through Paul, uh, God's saying, hey, Titus, make sure that your, your churches tighten up. Make sure they understand this matter. And here's why this matters, just so we're clear. The, the, the reason it's so important for you and I to make sure that we're asking God to see if there's any wicked way in me, all right? Help me to tighten up my life. The reason it matters is because, A, it affects our lives. Who wants a better life? Anybody like better lives? Better lives are good, right? Okay, if we get loose with some things in our spiritual lives, it affects the quality of our whole life. And so if you want a better life, you pay attention to the details, you look for the loose screws. Anybody here got a screw loose? Yeah. You look for the loose screws, the things that aren't tight in your life, spiritually speaking, and you work on those things. You don't ignore them. You don't just say, you know what, God's grace will cover that. You, you, you roll up your sleeves. You're like Paul when he says, listen, I buffet my body. I, I run the race so as to finish the race. I, I, I uh, fix my eyes on Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says. And I run with perseverance, this race marked out for me. I, I, I pay attention, and I keep going, because I want the best life that I can. But listen, here's something you're going to see. In every one of these little one-offs that uh, Paul gives to Titus, to the, to the men and to the women and to the workers, he says, listen, don't just do it so that you can have the life that you desire to have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do it because you are saying something with your life. The people who don't know Jesus... They see the loose screws in your life. They see those areas that, that basically conflict with what they've heard about him. It confuses them, and for, for many, it's, it's drawing them away from Jesus. You know, uh, I don't think this is uh, any kind of coincidence, uh, you know, especially in the day and age that we live in. We can point to lots of different things, but uh, Facebook and social media kind of coming up in the mid-2000s and becoming the huge presence that it is in our lives, it corresponds with a a kind of a precipitous dip in the number of people in America who indicate that they aren't affiliated with any religious organization anymore. In 2007, let me read you the the recent Pew Research Center study. In 2007, uh, uh, 16.1% people of people in America indicated that they... uh, uh, they didn't have any affiliation with religion. In 2015, eight years later, the number has grown to 22.8%. I can't draw you know, lines to Facebook and the vitriol and the rants that Christians put on their social media and things like that. But, but when, we, when we start talking to talk and we don't back it up with a walk, 
Uh, I think people have this like tendency to just be like, this, it is a bunch of hypocrites. It, 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 this doesn't change lives. They can say all they want on their Facebook page. I know who they are when they come to work. Keep using Facebook, show pictures of your kids. But it doesn't surprise me that those kind of things are related. Some of you might think, well, maybe, you know, when he says religious affiliations kind of, uh, you know, people not have, maybe, maybe it wasn't just Christianity. Maybe it was all the other religions. Christianity is still strong. Uh, in the same time period from 2007 to 2015, the Christian share of the population declined by 8%. Uh, that's alarming stuff. And now more than ever, here's the deal. Now more than ever, how we live as followers of Jesus Christ matters in the culture that we live in. People have to see that what we say is what we do. And we've got to be looking for those loose screws so that we can honor God with our lives and receive from him the blessings of that personally. But we want to honor God with our lives so that he receives the glory that he's deserved uh, or deserves from us and that other people follow him as well. So three things, three questions we want to answer as we talk about how we do as men, women, and workers. The first one is how... Keep going. How, do, how should Christian women be trained to do? If you were here last week, we started this little run in chapter 2 where Paul was saying, hey, make sure that you're, you're living lives. He, t- he talked to the older men and the older women. We would discern that that's not necessarily just age. It means mature men and women. We, we need to be disciples of people. And so uh, he talked about men being uh, dignified and sober-minded, about women uh, not you know, uh, being given over to slander and, and uh, being drunk, you know, the, the box wine stuff. Um, but instead that they should, look like it says here at the end of verse 3, keep going, uh, that they should, older women should, are likewise, oh, no, verse 4, I'm sorry. And so train the young women to love their husbands. How did you even get verse 3? That was last week. And so train the young women to love their husbands. The older women are, gonna, are, are to train the younger women. We talked about the importance of the mature feeding the less mature. But, but here's the deal. What we have now in these next verses for the ladies is basically, this is how it's supposed to be. This is where you need to look to see if some screws are loose. Uh, run, run a scan on your life and see if, if these things are lacking. So let's, let's read them together. The older women are to train the younger women, first of all, to love their husbands and children, verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. If you go through there, there's six things. Paul tells Titus, tell the ladies in your church these six things. There's other things that we need to be doing, ladies. But for this morning, let's just check these six. Verse, verse four starts out like this again. Check, but go back to verse four. Train the women to love their husbands and children. And some of you are like, check, totally do that. Get them presents at Christmas. I told, I told hubby this morning that I loved him. Uh, I'm not talking about loving those people at peacetime. It's easy to love somebody when they're nice to you, when they love you back, uh, right? I'm talking about loving, in those, loving those people when... When things aren't going so great, when they're not so lovely. Again, we go back to the Greek word for love here. It's agape. It's the love anyway love. It's the God style of love, the unconditional version of that word. And, and typically what needs to happen, moms, and, and, and listen, if you're not a mom in here, if you're not a wife in here, this still applies to you. Wherever you go, you need to be a lover of the people in your life, of, of the people in your family. Lots of you are moms and wives. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that the first thing on the list, it's a priority for Paul as he teaches Titus to teach his churches, is if the women need to love their families. 
Now, I've heard this said uh, typically of, of the female presence in a home is that the, the women set the temperature. You're the thermostats, moms and wives. Uh, the relational thermostat in your home. Uh, you can't always count on the guys to do that. Fellas, uh, you know, typically aren't as emotionally in tune as you are. Now, that may not be the case in your home. You may be the outlier, but typically that's what, what happens. And so if, if a home is going to be a home, it's going to be because as a, as a wife and as a mom, you make it such. You're the glue. I got no problem saying that Eleanor is the glue in our home. Uh, when she talks to our kids on, in college, she talks differently than I do. I'm fast. Do you have enough money? Good. Are your grades right? Awesome. Love you. Here's mom. Fellas, anybody know what I'm talking about? That's not, not because I don't love them. And it's not because if they, you know, if they wanted to have a deeper conversation, I wouldn't stop down and have it with them. Absolutely. But I, I'm, 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 you know, uh, who's that guy? Just the facts, ma'am? Sergeant who? Doesn't matter. It's an old... Uh, Joe Friday. I just got really old just then. Does everybody... What was that? What was that show called? Huh? Dragnet. I think that was the sixties. Was that the sixties? Wow. Just liver spots just popping out of my hand right here. <coughs> uh, moms typically probe deeper. All right, listen, I'm so grateful for my wife, Eleanor, uh, living up to this standard, uh, in, in our, in our home. She, she, she's the glue, uh, She's, she's the thermostat in our home. I'm so grateful to have grown up in a house where my mom, uh, uh, although she had you know, her moments, uh, for the most part, uh, she overcame incredible challenges uh, in, in her relationship with my dad. Their marriage wasn't always great. In her, her role as a pastor's wife, uh, she, 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 I don't know if you know, but in, I, I pray it's not difficult here in our church, but in some churches, the hardest job to have is pastor's wife because you're not getting paid but everything is still expected of you. You've got to be perfect. And my mom, she just, a lot of times would just, man, the burden of that would be hard. But here's what my mom did for us. She taught us to laugh. I don't know if your mom's like an idiot like mine is, but in, in a good way. But, uh, but my mom, you know, with all the pressures and things that were going on in her life and her, her relationship with my dad, and, and her, she, she would, her, her reaction to those things was, we, got, we just got to laugh. I used to go to prayer meeting with, with my mom at this little Baptist church that we lived or that dad worked at in Caribou, Maine. And I would go to this prayer meeting, and I'd be the youngest person by 60 years. I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm hanging out at this prayer meeting with everybody's grandparents, and I had to be there because dad wanted everybody to see that his kids were good Christians at the age of 10. And so there I was. And, and listen, I love praying now. I love talking to God. I didn't then. Uh, I just wanted to go home. And I remember just, you know, uh, we would walk to church from where we lived uh, there in that little town. And uh, all the way, I'd just be kicking rocks and angry about, you know, church and prayer and all this stuff. Horrible, right? But uh, I'd get there and we'd get through it. And then mom would just kind of let us bust loose. And we would laugh and joke. Some of my favorite memories of my childhood growing up were after prayer meeting. Uh, just, you know, kick back, laugh hard times. And I don't even remember what we laughed about. But mom created that environment for us. So in a lot of ways, uh, we just kind of skated through what was, you know, otherwise, you know, a fairly challenging childhood. Ladies, you do that. You don't have to be funny. You can do it however God's designed you to do it. But you need to be lovers of your husbands and children. If you, if you don't have one, a uh, husband, or, or if you don't have children, you need to be lovers of people. 
and exude the love of God, the love anyway, agape love of God to those in your life. You need to be, verse 5, self-controlled. This is going to be a common theme, this word self-control here. It's the Greek word uh, sophron. Everybody say sophron. Yeah, soph, uh, uh, the, the prefix soph there is, is the word for wisdom in Greek. So if you get philosophy or you're a sophist, you're a wise person. And so sophron means living your life wisely. You're self-controlled. You're not allowing... Uh, the, the circumstances or the emotions of your life to dictate how you live your life. You're being led, not by yourself, we covered that last week, but you're being led by the Spirit, and you're allowing the Spirit to influence you as you walk through life. You're pure. It says that you're pure. That means morally and motivationally. Uh, you're working at home. Let's cover this, because this, this has changed throughout the, uh, the years of history, uh, and especially you know, back when I was growing up. This was a verse that our pastors would use to say, ladies shouldn't have jobs. Uh, that's what, that was a belief of the church that I was a part of. Uh, I don't think that's true. In fact, if you read Proverbs 31, uh, this ancient text talks about a woman who worked outside her home, and she worked hard, but she worked inside her home as well. Here's the balance, ladies. Our first call, as husbands and wives, fellas, I'm, I'm going to include you in this, is not our workplace, it's our home. Our first call is to our spouse. Listen, well, our, our first call is to our God. Remember I talked about marriage? Our spouses are two. I would say that your kids are your three. Your job is somewhere down in the tens and, and twenties. All right? But here's what happens in America because of what our job can give us. You know, that, that feeling of, 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 of self-elevation and, 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 the, and the strokes that we get. And because sometimes our homes can be difficult, here's what happens to our job. And whether it's men or women, the priorities that God had for us uh, has for us in life, they, they get shifted down. Uh, what this actually says in the Greek is that women should be busy at home. They should be spending time at home, making sure that the relationships there are strong, that things are functioning, doing their part so that the home has its priority in life. They need to be kind. Uh, it says there that they need to be kind. Ladies, be kind. Some of you are like, oh, I got that in spades. Good. Keep it up. It's important. Again, back to my mom. My mom made our house the Kool-Aid house. Does anybody remember the Kool-Aid house? She would make a big jug of Kool-Aid every week or every, almost every day, and kids would come to our house and drink it. Like if kids uh, you know, were missing from their homes, their parents knew to call our house. Hey, is Jimmy there? Yes. Send him home and tell him he's in trouble. Oh, Jimmy, you're in trouble. Go home. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, my mom did that for a couple of reasons. One, I think because she was just exuding this, this character of, of Christ, which is kindness. She was just hospitable and open. and She, she did it also so that she could know what her kids were doing. If, if they were going to go somewhere, she'd rather it be her house, right? It was a good play on mom's part. But kindness, that, that, uh, that readiness to love and provide for people, it's important. Here we go. Let's talk about this. Uh, ladies, we're to be submissive to our husbands. I, I can't really conclude myself in that, can I? Anyway, um... You're to be submissive to your husbands, ladies. This, this word, everybody say this word. It's a Greek word, hupotasso. Hupotasso. Tasso is the Greek word that means to organize or to put, to allocate. Hupo is the Greek prefix that means to put under or, or, or to, 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 to it, well, yeah, put under. And so hupotasso means that I'm going to put myself beneath you. And some people, now, I've done weddings, probably three or four of them now, where the brides have looked across the table at me as we're preparing their ceremony, and they said, listen, I don't care what else you say, but just don't put the submission part in there. I don't want it. 
And here's what's happened in a lot of people's understandings of submission. It's a, it's a curse word. To be submissive is to, is to lose. But here's what we don't understand. Everybody look at me. The Christian life is a lost life. And some of you are like, I don't get that. Let, let me explain it to you. You gain everything, but it requires you to lose everything to gain everything. Are you with me? When we accept Jesus Christ, Jesus gave his everything, his all, so that we might have him. And all he asks of us is for us to give our all, to surrender to him. We say that around here, don't we? We exist to what? To surrender to him, to be submissive to him, to lose. It's the one thing I write on a card when I, when I give uh, advice at, at, at marriage or, or wedding uh, showers. Is, is, is Everybody's writing these, you know, make sure you put the toilet paper down and not up, whatever. I just write the, in big capital letters, lose. Because if the people in a relationship can understand that my mission in this marriage is not to be a doormat, okay, not to be abused, but my mission is to put myself, hupo tasso, underneath, to defer and to honor my spouse, my children, to lose so that they can win. Man, if everybody comes to the family, husbands, wives, kids, and everybody seeks to lose, is that going to be a happy home? Yeah, because everybody, when everybody seeks to lose, everybody in the end wins. Are you with me? So submission's not a dirty word. Don't take it out of your wedding ceremonies, ladies. It's, it's a Christian distinctive. We're not trying to win. In fact, we understand that if we want to be first, we must be last. If we want to win, we've got to lose. And so I'm not saying let your husbands abuse you, ladies, but I'm saying in every possible situation, even when he is unloving, seek to serve and to honor. We went to Africa once, Eleanor and I, and uh, it was Sunday, and all the pastors who had been involved in the services at that particular African church were at this African pastor's home, and it was time for tea. It's an English kind of society, and so tea is promptly at like 3 o'clock every afternoon. And so we were just hanging out, and tea was coming and before the tea came out, uh, one of the pastor's wives there in Africa took Eleanor into the kitchen and said, here's what you're going to do. And she explained that you're going to take the tea for your husband, you're going to put it on a tray with his crackers, and you're going to come with this little, uh, you know, uh, pourer or whatever that thing is, uh, and you're going to pour the tea for him on bended knee as he sits at his chair. Eleanor was like, excuse me? <laughs> but she's game, you know? She's all about being in the culture when she's in the culture, and so here she comes. And she comes right up to my chair as the other women, these aged, you know, dignified women in the African church. And she just sat down next, or propped her knee down next to my chair, and she's just looking at me, and she's like, don't you say a word. <laughs> Hands me my tea and my cookie, and I'm like, I look at all the other guys, I'm like, I could get used to this, right? <laughs> and she's never done that since we've been home, just so you know, but... Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be tea on a knee, but it should be from your heart, ladies and husbands, I'll include you in this, that I seek to serve my spouse, that I live on bended knee for the sake of the person that God has given me to love, that, that I, I seek to pour myself out for them. That, that, that's, that's the mission of marriage. I stood right here on, on Friday night with a young couple uh, who, who are being married, uh, and I got to share with them in this very uh, informal setting. You know, it was just us and their families. But I said, listen, when you get married, the first promise is to God, not to each other. You promise God that you're going to serve this person. 
as, as fellows as Christ served the church, right? You're gonna serve this person as an act of worship to your God. You're promising, I didn't use this on Friday night, but I wish I'd thought of it. I would have told him, you're promising to hupo tasso, to submit. You make that promise first to God and then to each other. And the good marriages, listen, you talk to the ones that are 25, 30, 40, 50 years in the making, people on some level figured that out. The happy marriages, people figured it out. It's not about me winning. It's about God winning as I lose and I serve the one that he's given me to love. Enough on that? Ladies, if this is you, if you're a husband, or excuse me, if you're a wife to a husband, if, if you're a mom to your kids, if you're on the way to being so, remember that the screws can get loose in these areas. That you can forget your families. That you can lose purity. You can, you can stop being busy at home. You can lose your kindness because things are so uh, hard. You can, you can lose submission and think, I just want to be served. If that's happening in your life, tighten the screws. Do it so that you have a better life and do it here at the verse, end of verse five so that the word of God may not be reviled. Remember where Titus is? He's on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's called Crete. And, and the Cretans were, uh, well, they were liars. They were prone to error. Uh, they were uh, uh, lazy gluttons. They wanted everything and wanted nothing or didn't want to have to do anything to get it. Remember that? And so he says, listen, man, you, you got a hard area to, to, to profess the gospel. And they're going to be looking for every out that they can find. So tighten down these screws so that the people around you cannot revile the message that God has given you to give so that they might have life. He talks to the fellows next. He says in verse 6, or these are the things that the a Christian man should be trained to do as he uh, is out there doing what he does. Verse 6 says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be what? There it is again, Saffron. Live your life wisely. Now, he's going to use Titus as kind of the template. He's going to say, Titus, here, here's the things that I desire of you. Look what he says, verse 7. Show yourself. Be a template for the other men in your church in all respects as a model of good works. Tighten the screws down, Titus. Make sure that you're careful in how you live. And he gives them these three things. He says, in your teaching, show integrity. In your life, show dignity, verse 8. And show sound speech that cannot be contemned, so that an opponent may not be put to shame. Having, uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Excuse me, and have nothing evil to say about us. Let's cover those three things. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled uh, in showing verse seven in all respects that you're a model of good works. First of all, uh, in your teaching, show integrity. Uh, this, this is a, a word in Greek that just basically means integrity, without corruption. You're doing this for the right reasons. It goes to motive. I feel like I'm in a court right now. It goes to motive. Objection! Goes to motive. No one sees law and order ever. Anyway, all right. Um, but it goes to motive. Have integrity in, in what you're doing. Have the right motivation in, in why you're doing what you do. Have dignity in, in how you live your life. He, he, he commanded this of the elders and of the older men. Had to be dignified. Now, we talked about how that means that, that people outside of, of, of your circles, they know you by reputation, that you're a good guy. But dignified here, uh, the word that's used here of dig dignity is, is basically goes a little deeper. Fellas, it talks about being serious. Being serious about what you're doing. Uh, I, I, I used, when I used to play basketball, 
there were certain basketball games I would not involve myself in. Because the people playing them, A, were unskilled, and B, they weren't serious about playing. And you know when people get hurt? When people get hurt playing sports, it's usually when someone's just out there to have a good time, and they're not playing as hard as the other people, and they manage to put their foot under you as you're coming down from a jump, and, and you roll your ankle. Or Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so if I saw that this was kind of just a, you know, a, a fun game, and people were just out there, I, I, I wouldn't, they'd ask me to play, no, nah, I'm good. And I wasn't trying to be elitist, you know, you're not good enough for me. I just didn't want to get hurt. Right? Because there's, listen, in every phase of life, even, I think you can have serious fun at church. Did anybody, anybody disagree with me on that? Anybody heard those two things put together? Serious fun? Man, this is serious fun. It sounds like a, an oxymoron, like a jumbo shrimp, right? It doesn't sound like they go together. But you can have serious fun going to church. That's what I've tried to have here as, as your pastor at our church. I, I enjoy uh, laughing. I like when I get to read the scriptures to, to bring it down like, like my Bible teacher in seminary told me. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know, make this stuff accessible. And so if humor opens the door for you and I to understand God's scriptures and, and for us to enjoy coming to church, we're going to do it. And it's just who God made me to be, right? But everybody look at me. I'm going to have one moment of just straight seriousness. There is nothing in my life more important to me than my, than my relationship with Jesus Christ. Close second to that is my wife and kids, and then after that is my family here at this church. I want nothing more in life than for you to know and follow hard after Jesus Christ. And I want you to be serious about that. And sometimes churches like ours, we're relaxed and laid back. We don't have lots of rules or clothing restrictions and things like that. And what can happen is that people can kind of just do the Christian thing. Eh, sort of. Here occasionally, I mean, certainly if something better comes up, I'm there. Because we're just not as serious about this life. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching legalism, but I am preaching serious. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it needs to be the first thing in your life. You wake up to it, you put your bed or head on your pillow to it, and it's everything in between. So he says here to the fellas, hey, Young men, Titus as one of them, be dignified, be serious about this life with me. Serious means you're looking for the loose screws. Serious means you're not just kind of like being, all right, God, good enough, there you go, here's my life. You're looking for the ways to honor him. Pardon me. See, serious fun. Dignity, verse 8, he says, sound speech. He says you should be a model of good works in your teaching, show integrity, in your life, show dignity, and in your words, you sound speech. Say things that can't be condemned. Now, he's talking about using wise words and, and truth. He's obviously talking about that. But he's even talking about being careful about how you say things, right? Uh, by the grace of God, I, for the most part, have uh, eradicated uh, the words that I used to say in frustration from my vernacular, all right? I won't say it's perfect, uh, but, but for the most part, my speech, I pray, is seasoned with grace. I pray that no one would see me in, in public and be like, doesn't he preach on Sundays? Because he's talking like a sailor now. Sorry, sailors, if you're out there. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and the things that we do, and the words that we say, we, we, we portray an image. And what we need to be is if, is if this area of speech... 
even if it's like you know telling uh, uh, off-colored jokes and things like that, certainly there's going to be different lines uh, that uh, that we may need to draw. But but just like like it says in Ephesians, uh, it, Paul says this to his, his buddy in, Ty, in uh, Timothy and, and the rest of the Ephesians church. He says, "Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Be careful with your words. We need to have integrity, pure motives. We have to." Have dignity, that's a serious manner. We need to have sound speech. It's having sound material and using the right words so that we can have the best life. And here it comes again. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We tighten the screws down so that the people who are looking at the Christ life and saying, is this for me or not? There's nothing that they could say from your life or mine about Christianity as far as it concerns us. Are we going to be perfect? No. Can they hold us to that standard? It's not fair. But, but when they look at us, can they say, as I work with this person, as I live on the same block with this person, as I converse with this person online, are they putting forth integrity and dignity and sound speech? Is there anything that I can come against them with? The answer should be no. I love... Uh, uh, hearing from our community about what's happened in our church. On June 25th, a guy named Ernest Hooper, he writes a, a column for the Tampa Bay Times, and he uh, cited our church. You want to hear it? Uh, I just found out about it when I talked to him the other day. Sorry, I don't read the Tampa Bay Times every week. But he wrote this in his column that day. He says, A team of volunteers gathered in my neighborhood, or in my neighbor's yard one recent Saturday, and took on the arduous task of removing, removing a dying oak tree. Uh, as a widow, my neighbor needed help. With ropes and saws and toil and sweat, uh, they took down the towering tree, even though a branch hit my neighbor's roof and did some minor damage. Uh, I don't know why he mentioned that, but they came back and fixed it, he said. Ernest says, I appreciated the gesture, but I thought it even more magnanimous when I learned that the team came from Bay Life Church. The Brandon Church utilizes volunteers to follow the biblical principle of caring for widows and orphans. And then he, he kind of, you know, like how sometimes I do for effect in news articles, he, he puts a space there and he just has a one-word paragraph. And his one word was awesome. He says, it's awesome. He says, I want to read more stories like this, acts of kindness that re- reflect God's mercy and grace. Um, he, he goes on and says other things in his, his op-ed there and his opinions uh, that were, I thought were salient stuff. If you want to read it, you can go read it. But, uh, but hey, we made the paper. Yeah, God. Okay, and, and here's how we made the paper. We didn't make the paper because uh, we embezzled, or someone from our church embezzled $100,000. Okay, we didn't make the paper because, you know, something horrible happened in one of our ministries and, and, a, and a family is suing us. Are you with me? Now, we're, we're not, listen, we live in a, a broken world. I'm not saying those things uh, can happen. But if we make the paper, you know what I want to make the paper, paper for? That a bunch of people from Bay Life Church took their Saturday and whatever, you know, uh, led them to do this, they went and ripped down a tree out of, an, uh, out of a widow's yard. Yeah, God. Right? And those are the kinds of things that when people who can comment on the, on the Christ life that is represented here at our church, uh, they, they only have good things to say. That's what we want to give them for material. Let's give them only good things to say. So here's what, here's what that takes. Everybody in here, sitting down in front of their spiritual mirror, taking a look, and assessing, where are the screws loose? 
It's going to lead to a better life for you. It's going to lead to a, a better example for those who don't know Jesus yet. Can I cover the workers real fast in the five minutes I got left? We'll see. What about Christians who go to work? Here, here's what Titus uh, is instructed by Paul to do. Slave. Now, everybody's like, slaves, out, I'm out. Slavery's wrong. Absolutely. Okay, can we all agree, especially the, the form that slavery took in America, you know, 150, 200 years ago, that it was completely out of bounds. Completely. But understand that 2,000 years ago, slavery was a part of the culture. It, it was like having, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, in lots of respects, a job that you would just normally have here. Your family would grow up in that caste. It would just be a part of how you live. Certainly there were some slaves that were forced into slavery, and we can disagree with that form of slavery. But slavery, in a lot of respects, was just being a worker. That's what you did. Now, here's, and kudos to the Christian church. Guess who they led into their, their, their worship services? Slaves. How do we know? Well, there's instructions right here from Paul to Titus on what to tell the slaves in his churches. And so uh, uh, the Christian church in that time was way ahead of the curve. They were talking to women, and other religions weren't ladies. They were talking to slaves, and other religions weren't even including them. So, so here, Paul gives instructions. And we can take it today for us as we go to our jobs. So workers, in other uh, translations, says bond servants. It says, uh, we're to be what? Submissive. There it is, hupotasso. Submissive to our masters in how much? Everything. Now, now, just make sure we qualify when it says everything in the scripture. When we're supposed to be submissive to a human in everything, we're supposed to be careful that the everything doesn't stretch into us offending the God that we are serving in obedience uh, and submiss- submitting to a human. Is everybody with me on this? So when it says, children, submit to your parents, all right, or honor your parents, don't honor your parents in joining them in a crime spree, okay? But in everything else that doesn't offend the standards of God, at your work, you seek to honor your boss. Uh, we as workers are to be well-pleasing. That means when the boss speaks of us in front of our coworkers or when we're not around our coworkers, he has good things to say. I'm so grateful to be a part of a team at our church that when I talk about our teammates, our, our, our pastors and directors and administrators here at our church, I can say good things about them in front of the other people that are, are working with us and when they're not around, all right? Uh, they need to be, uh, here, here's two things. As workers, we need not to be argumentative. Verse 10, we need not to be pilferers. Let me, let me cover those. Uh, when, when it says not to be argumentative, he's saying, listen, as you do your jobs, don't do your jobs with this sense of entitlement that just constantly leads to you going into your boss's office and demanding more. Now, am I saying that you're a doormat, that you're abused in any relationship, whether it's your spouse, uh, whether it's a, a workplace or whatever? No, I'm not saying that you're a doormat, but I'm saying there's a proper way to, to defend yourself in the workplace. I had a lady asking me about that last night. How do I do this? I feel like I'm being wronged. Okay, how, how, what did Jesus say when, when you, you were wronged? What do you say? If someone hits you on the cheek, what do you do? You duck, and you uppercut. That's what you do, right? That's what Jesus said, right? And then if you can get to the groin, you know, just hit him there. Is that what Jesus says? No, Jesus says, listen, when you're, you're going to be wrong. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But when they hit you on the face, turn them the other cheek. When they tell you to walk a mile, go an extra mile. When they ask you for your shirt, give them your coat. It's this whole hupotasso thing again. Even though I'm being wronged, I'm going to seek to do right in this situation. I'm not going to be argumentative. Uh, I, I, I saw a skit on Saturday Night Live last weekend about uh, millennials. It's the, the next generation coming up. Uh, and I'm not bagging on all millennials. I know there's lots of great groups in every generation. But uh, they're, they're used to getting what they want. And so they'll be on the job for four, four months, and then they'll ask, why am I not a vice president yet, right? 
They have these unreasonable expectations of their employers. And, uh, and, and that's not what we as Christians can do in any generation. We shouldn't pilfer. Uh, everybody knows what pilfering is, right? That means you don't rob from your boss. And everybody thinks, well, I don't take, you know, I don't write checks out of the company checkbook. I'm not, okay. Um, you ever fake the sick day? So I'm like, whoa, hey, settle down, Saunders. Hey, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, if you weren't sick and you, you know, now I'm not saying that you don't have the time coming to but have you ever done, have you ever lied to your boss so that you can have and he doesn't have? Well, careful about that. Because that could be pilfering. That could be taking from him dishonestly. Ever stolen the post-it notes? Ever been, hey, ever been tardy on getting your kids school supplies and just took a box of pens? You're like, box of pens? Come on, Saunders. We talk, it's a box of pens. Were they your pens? Did you ask? Careful with the pens. Because these are the screws that can come loose. And some of you are like, well, that's not that big a deal. Hey, I think everybody who embezzles like hundreds of thousands of dollars from a company started with a box of pens. How's that? Because if you can take the pens, you can take the money. We're just talking differences, right? And so you want to be careful. And these are the screws that have to be tightened in our workplaces. This is not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Again, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. As workers, what's our first mission? To do a good job, to get a raise, to become the president of the company. Are those our missions? Those are, those are fine side missions. Go for it. But your first mission when you go to work tomorrow morning, if you're going there this afternoon, your first mission is to glorify God in how you handle yourself in front of your boss, in front of your coworkers, so that he gets the honor that he deserves in your life and in their lives too. Are you with me? Hey, man, I know this is probably one of those sermons where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to do those things. Would you do me this one favor? Let's be serious about this. I'm going to give you a second before I pray just to ask God. Like the Old Testament writer wrote, he says, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Show me the ways that the screws are loose in my life. And lead me to the ways, God, that I can honor you more with what you've given me. So that I can have the life that you want to provide me. So that you can have the glory you deserve through me. Now, this is going to be your prayer. Just ask this of God. If you would close your eyes and just bow your heads for a second, just listen to him. And say, ask this, God, where in my life do I need to tighten things up for your sake? could stand on this stage I'm sure for a long time because there's probably lots of areas that all of us need to address uh, none of us are perfect God um, uh, in, in some areas you've given us great victory in other areas we're like Paul we got this thorn in the side of our of our of our flesh and, and, and we just we struggle uh, so God in those areas where things need to be tightened up I'm asking for your grace to come in we're going to talk about that next week about how grace apart from grace we can't do anything uh, so, God, you're going to have to help us with these 
these screws that are loose. As, as, as the women of our church, as the men of our church, as workers going out into a world that desperately needs you, uh, we need to understand what, what matters to you so that we can live for you and people can see you through us. Would you grant us that, God, by your grace? Would you lead us, Lord, deeper in what it is to, to know and follow hard after you? Would you give us strong marriages and homes and families? Would you give us um, just quality in the, in the integrity of our lives and our relationships with you? I pray these things for this church, my family. I love them. We love you. We want to honor you. Grant us your grace in following you, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Don't forget to be here next week. You're not going to want to miss it.